Welcome to the Payments Podium Podcast, hosted by the payments professor himself, Kevin Olson. This podcast discusses the past, present, and the possibilities of the payments industry. Here's the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Payments Podium. This is your host, the Payments Professor, and today we're going to be exploring a subject that is near and dear to me, one that I definitely got a passion for, and I think all of you out there know. When it comes to education, and education, especially in payments, in education, let's go today, we're going to talk really about education in finance. It is something that we want to see more of. Uh, and I say that as we, because I know there are a lot of people in the industry that we're looking at what's happening and we're saying, it's not good enough. We can do better, that there are better ways to be able to get this information out there. And you all know from listening to the payments professor and watching the videos that I focus on helping the payments industry itself, working with the fintechs, working with the credit unions, working with the banks to be able to help them have a better understanding of payment channels, of rules, of regulations, of how all of that works. But there's another area when it comes to payments education that's out there, and that would be, well, from our point of view, our account holders, especially our consumer account holders, and how educated are they? We see all the time in working the dispute process that, why did they do that? Don't they know what they're doing? Do they have any concept of saving money? Things like that. So today, I'm really honored to be able to bring in a guest that's going to be able to talk about payments education, but from a different point of view, giving us some light on how payments education is working or what are some of the options that are out there when it comes to payments education for our consumers, for our account holders. So Arindam from Sensei, or Sensei, I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, I want to welcome you to the Payments Podium. And if you wouldn't mind, give a quick introduction to everybody of who you are and what you do. Ken, very good afternoon. And thank you for having me. This is uh, definitely um, an honor and a pleasure to be on your podcast. Uh, so I've, I'm the co-founder and CEO of uh, Sensei, which is a financial education-focused platform. We are mainly a content and content-related tools company. And our main mission is to not just to teach people how to manage their money, uh, but also to be engaged and actually get to know what they don't know in a much more seamless fashion. So our content is very social media friendly, it's highly engaging, and we basically do not put people to sleep. And that's, that's the uh, solution that we have. And we are partnering with many partners in the industry. And just to ensure that we can help people, especially young people who are busy with their jobs and their careers and may not have had an opportunity to take a personal finance class or a financial planning class and ensure that they are taking the right decisions from the get-go. All right, you said a lot in there. I love that right away. Uh, one of the key things I've got to you know, point out is you said not put people to sleep. When it comes to payments education, I, I'm sure many of them out there, I'm sure you yourself, I, I've done it in rules and regulation classes where you're sitting in that class and you have that person that is just sitting <laughs> there in there. They're not only just dull, boring, monotone, they're reading the slides to you. They're reading what's on the screen to you. Now, many of them, don't get me wrong, they're very educated in what they're doing, but it's just, it doesn't work. I mean, how are you supposed to learn something when you can't even stay awake or pay attention because of how it's being delivered? So you mentioned even social media. How is your delivery 
of you know the material because a lot of people say it's the same material but how is your delivery different what really makes sensei and i, I want to point out that that's sensei like c-e-n-t-s-a-i for those of you who are listening how, what makes you different in that delivery that you do keep people awake and you do keep them engaged that's a very good question. So, but let me just take a little bit of a step back on why I felt that something like Sensei needs to be created. So I, I used to be a columnist for the Wall Street Journal, uh, writing the column called The Heard on the Street uh, during the credit crisis. And those of you probably aware that between 2007 and 2008, a variety of banks, financial institutions, they got exposed to what we now call tainted uh, mortgage-backed securities. They had a lot of stuff on their books, which forced a lot of banks to file for bankruptcy. And it brought down the economy and a lot of people lost their jobs and a lot of people had to move states. So there are a couple of significant events that happened during the credit crisis. And one of them was Lehman Brothers, which is a very big investment bank once upon a time, they filed for bankruptcy. And the day when they filed for bankruptcy, I was sitting in London and I was doing an interview with a, a television uh, presenter and he asked me straightforward, why do Americans take so many stupid decisions? They have a very great education system, but why can't, why have the people take so many bad decisions? And the question was a heavy, hard hitting question. And it hit me. And much later, as I was doing a lot of research and digging deep, I actually realized that lack of financial education is the real problem behind the financial crisis, which made me get started. And I started talking to a lot of people. And then I also learned that people just don't study uh, a financial education naturally in America. A, because it's not taught in high schools and in as many high schools as it should be. Mm -hmm. And B, the curriculum is just simple, simply boring. It's not written the way people would get engaged to. So, the so you're telling me then basically is it's not that people are ignorant to it. It's just that they just don't know that they're not being exposed to it and what they're exposed to, well, sucks for lack of a better oh, word, right? Yes, no, you're absolutely right. And what we also realized was that people don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, I'm going to look for bonds. I'm going to look for equities. I'm going to look for uh, you know, loans. No, people actually look for help when they actually have a problem. So they type, how do I save for my kid's education? or the type, how do I get a first mortgage? So when they're facing a life event, that's when they are interested in finance. So if you, if you go back to sensei.com and look at our navigation bar and look at the content, it actually tracks various life events. We even actually have a vertical, uh, it's called financial distress, because when we did our research, people actually said, look, let's not kid ourselves. We all go through financial distress in our lives but very few of us actually have the intellectual strength to think through a financial distress situation. So we, we also have a lot of content on that. We do believe that no financial situation is basically the end of you. You can come out of it, but the, the issue is that how do we, how can we help you prevent from getting deep into a, a rabbit hole if we can, if we can, if we can afford to. 
Okay. Well, just a second. Let me uh, hit the brakes just a little bit because in the payments podium, we do like to focus on the past, the present, and the possibilities of what could happen. And so just to recap the past, you, you were working at the New York Times as a reporter. So I was, I, I, No, I was working at the Wall Street Journal. Oh, Wall Street uh, Journal. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, and I was doing a column uh, and called The Herd on the Street. That's the name of the column. But during those two years, I focused a lot on the credit crisis. Okay, okay. So that, that's where you really got deep into this and started yep. seeing how it was truly affecting people is from doing all that work, doing all that research. That is correct. And then and, and that's where the idea for Sensei was born? Yep. Um, and then I started <clears throat> talking to a lot of people. Uh, I actually traveled around the country with my co-founder, uh, Doria Lavanino. She actually worked at Condé Nast and uh, she had a lot of experience in working with um, generation, uh, young generation Xers and millennials. And one thing that I did learn over during my research was that people wanted to hear stories. People wanted to hear personal anecdotes. So a lot of our content circles around life events, personal stories, and real life anecdotes, but most prominently pain points. Oh, I do get that. But what, what year did you actually launch the website? Because if you went around the country, you went on a tour, I, I would say, gathering information, finding, you know, what are these pain points, gathering these stories too. When, when did Sensei go live? So we went live in the late summer of 2016. So 2015 and 2016 was more of um, research, talking to people. We spoke to seven, 800 people and they included people from parents, teachers, financial advisors, bankers, credit union executives, anyone who's in charge of imparting knowledge to average Americans in the United States. So we gathered the knowledge, we, we did a lot of tests, we had five homepages in three months because we, we kept on testing them. And eventually we went live in 2016. You know, that, that's something that I know uh, our listeners can uh, definitely know what that feels like because, or they can relate to. Yeah, We yep. can relate to that because we're out there a lot in our industry, in our side, on the banking side, talking to people and, you know, wanting to hear from our account holders what it is you want, what it is you need. So to hear that you spent that year or two on the road getting those personal stories, I, I commend you for that because that, that probably shows why you're having the success that you're having now. And going into now too, you, you talk about the stories, you talk about the pain points, and again, you know, you mentioned you don't want it to be that dull, that boring, that dry discussion. How are you doing that? How are you making it to where people are more engaged, that people want to participate more in what's happening? So we have embraced social media as one of our big sources of presence. So for instance, I'll give you an example. Uh, right now, around 25-30% of our traffic actually comes from social media. A big contributor of traffic is actually Pinterest and Reddit. Now, it's not Facebook. Facebook used to be, but it's, not, it's no longer Facebook. It's where people are, are genuinely, uh, like if we take Pinterest, for instance, people are generally scanning for ideas. So people see our boards on Pinterest, they look at our ideas, and then they come to our website. Reddit 
people are actually discussing problems. So we actually, our community manager is actively having a conversation with someone in Reddit and driving traffic back to our site. One big theme in our growth, and we've had close to 1.7 million people come onto our site and we are growing every day, like, like over the like last weekend, we had 5,000 people coming over the weekend. And some of the traffic came to articles on credit repair. So it's a new year coming in. People have taken stock of their lives during the holidays and realizing, you know what, enough is enough. I need to repair my credit. So we've been getting a lot of traffic on credit repair. We're getting a lot of traffic on, on some personal loans. So you know that people are taking stock of their credit card debts and they want to refinance their, take a personal loan and pay off their credit cards. We are also seeing traffic on investment uh, funds uh, by uh, guys that we have because people are realizing, wait a minute, I'm ending the year with so much cash, it needs to be deployed so that I get some returns. So those are the problems we are trying to solve by making ourselves visible on the right platform. Bulk of our traffic still is search. So if you did something like the ultimate guide to credit repair on Google, you will find us on, on, the, on, the, on the on homepage. And as we grow and as we apply more marketing dollars to our platform, we do hope to reach as many people as possible. Well, I, I got to say too, uh, you know, I've been watching since I, I, I we met about a couple months ago, a month or so ago now. And, uh, you know, I've been watching your site and, and that's part of why I had to have you on here is I go in here and I see just the way that the articles are presented, that it, it gets my attention. It really grabs my attention. And I love that you do it with stories, but like I look at today and today there's a video joint versus separate account accounts for couples which one is right for you i i see things like that and i'm like oh i want to click on this and learn more you know if i'm in a relationship how should this be worked out so uh, uh and, it, and and i've noticed too that that's you know really the aspect that you're taking is you're making it real life is, is that right yes no in, in fact you're absolutely right uh, i mean mind you uh, money is real Right. And we need to uh, I mean, these stats I continue to roll out to people is that from the age 18 to age 85, people are using 37 financial products, starting from your first bank account, checking account to saving for your own funeral. Now, the point is, how many people really understand each financial product and each fine print? So for us, the opportunity is to help people through those 35, 30, 37 financial products. Now, the question is, what, what do we prioritize? So what we have done is we, we began with millennials. We st in fact, a lot of our content is targeting millennials and students and, and paying for student loans uh, is a big problem among millennials. And then first time home buyers, uh, taking your first mortgage. That's a big problem for a lot of millennials too. But we are now climbing up the ladder and we, know, we are getting into managing money in a relationship, uh, putting your kids to school, saving for your retirement. So we're going up the ladder, so to speak, and looking at problems at every age group. Mm -hmm. 
Well, you know, and to get to every age group, because the, the video is one example too. And like you talked, you even mentioned funeral costs. And yeah. one of the things that I, you know, all listeners out there, you've got to go check this out. And it is again, it's sensei.com. And normally I don't like to, you know, fully advertise somebody, but you got to go check this out. And that's C-E-N-T-S-A-I.com. On their page uh, this week, I went there and there's a what friends character is most like you quiz. Now, most of us think, okay, there's a quiz like that, but it's going to be some, you know, Facebook thing. Who cares? No, you go here and you do the what friends character is most like you quiz. And it starts with the first question. In addition to life insurance, primary use as income replacement for loved ones. Many people wish to use it for funeral and final expenses. Had Ross really died doing what he loved, watching blimps, then insurance would have come in handy. These um, funeral and final expenses include, and then there's where you choose from. And you go through eight different questions that are related like that, that help educate you on what it really means to have insurance, to pay for funeral costs. And I mean, where, where did you get that idea to incorporate something like friends quizzes, which character you most like, to turning it into you're learning something about your finances. So that's actually a, a good question. So what we have realized, again, during our research, and let me just also take a pause, and, and you're going to hear this phrase when we did our research. Uh, I worked at big companies, and one takeaway that I took away from working at big companies was a lot of big companies, they cash in on their brand name and they launch a product sometimes not thinking that whether this product would be actually liked or not. Now, as a startup, I don't have the luxury of wasting money. So I could not launch a product first and do research later. So what I did was I actually spent money, a little bit of money in researching and talking to people every day. What we learned was people love to engage. They want to compete. So a quiz, for instance, a quiz is a perfect way of competing so around the dining table. Siblings can say, hey, let siblings and their parents can kind of compete with each other and do a quiz. So we tested those among families and we realized that people would rather do a quiz and engage and find an answer and remember, and they will remember that more than just reading an article. Now, indeed, you do need articles, but what we are doing increasingly is coming up with this fun way, linking um, contemporary culture and creating personality quizzes about your spending habits and your money habits and linking these gamification or gamified content to your methods of learning. And people tend to learn that, but it's almost like Lego. You can use Lego, you can use various fun toys for kids, and they learn the alphabets and the numbers. The human brain evolves, but it doesn't change when it comes to its functionality. The more engaged they are, the faster they learn. That's what we are doing at Sensei. And, and who doesn't like friends? I mean, that, that's just, you know, something that gets everybody going. So uh, I'm loving this discussion. So we've talked about the past, we talked about the present. What I really want to you know, discuss now is the, the possibilities, the, the future of where does this go? Because I know you and I have had great candid discussions I want to share with everybody too about how do we bridge that gap in what you're doing that gets out there to the end user, the account holder, the consumer on the street. 
to where it can actually help too the banking personnel that the payments professor is working with. You know, I, I know I focus on helping those in the uh, fintechs, those who work for regulatory organizations, those who work for banks, and those who work for credit unions, and better understanding the rules, the regulations, and the payment channels. Now, how do we get that to where it's actually helping too the consumer at the other end? How do we get that out there in a, a more predominant way that everybody is taking advantage of these types of services in, well, just better prepared so we don't have another 2008? Absolutely, uh, Ken. And, and I always tell people that this is not about preventing a credit crisis or preventing another bubble. This is all about what makes good business. And an educated customer is much better business than a non-educated customer. But how do you take charge of educating your customer? It's by embracing financial literacy content in an engaging way along with your product. So an example, a good example would be, uh, very recently we saw a large payments processor actually partner with a financial education company because the payments company wants to make itself popular among kids and teenagers and people in the early 20s because that's when you can catch them young. And if you can, if you are present in school campuses, there is a kind of a safety emotion that is associated with being present in schools. Like when people grow up, they say, oh, I used to use it when I was in school. Hence, it should be good. I should continue to use it and my kids should use it too. So we're going to increasingly see that happen. Now, the, the best way to enter into the school grounds and the campuses is through being part of the education. So even at Sensei, what we are doing right now, we are making a big push and we're open to partnerships for anyone who's listening on this call. We would be, we are getting into school campuses proactively. Our main mission is to educate the customer so that they can take the right decisions when it comes to paying or saving or building wealth and any other financial activity. That is just awesome. I, I, I know we share that passion is let's get it out there and get the education going. I mean, so you've got the quizzes, you've got the stories, you're doing it on social media. What is, you know, if you were to make a crazy prediction of how we can get more education out there in the financial sectors, whether all the areas, what's the next thing we do? I mean, is it a hit movie? Is there going to be a top 40 pop song that is all about payments education? Well, I have a feeling, this is just my guess, that that almost like um, the United Nations steps in sometimes and, and creates certain mandates for its member nations that these things must happen, whether it is human rights or whether it is any kind of intolerance. My personal view is that the global financial services sector is going to make it almost a mandate. And we're seeing some of that in some countries like China, China, India, but even Saudi Arabia was a recent country. They're basically telling financial services companies, including payment companies that look, you want to go retail, you want to be in front of a consumer, provide the education. But guess what? Payments companies and you know, are, they have a lot of good experts in financial services, they have a lot of good experts in technology, but education, or content is not their expertise, but they will have to do that and they will have to allocate budgets to do that. Education, mind you, and again, 
I know it is a line item in your profit and loss account. It's a cost, but by golly, it is a cost worth taking on. You would rather have 65% of your customers and educated customer base than having, you know, more three times more customers who don't know or who take bad decisions because it's going to come back to bite to bite you in three years time. Well, uh, that is a great prediction. I, and I would love to see that one happen. As we get to the end here, I, I want to point out that financial institutions have certain encouragement, let's say, or I call it recommendulations. It's not a regulation, but it's a recommendation that they provide a level of education to their account holders, especially business account holders with some of the things that we see. And to think of, let's get to a point on a global scale to where there's mandates in place for more financial literacy all around, I do think it would help. And it, it's, it is an investment in the way I see it. It's not an expense, it's an investment when you have that education because the savings comes when you know that your account holders are protected. The savings comes on the side that I see when you no longer have to uh, process nearly as many returns or have as many disputes because somebody's lost money. Uh, it really also comes to, if I think about banks and credit unions, if you're offering or being able to give more loans out because people understand and want to take advantage of your loans or people have more money because they've invested it properly, then that's m much more advantageous. So uh, Arindam from Sensei, I, I thank you for being on here, helping to educate us all on what you're doing. I, I commend you on the job you're doing. I'm going to have to go stay up to date with the website, maybe take a few more quizzes as they come available. And other than that, class dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Payments Podium podcast. Check back every Thursday for a conversation with the Payments Professor. This podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Olson and edited by Sam Sue Smith. See you on Thursday.